Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. This is Lama Dantrapa with a teleseminar of the element of water kicks to project the energy into the lower legs beyond the knees. We learn to develop a certain quality of movement that most people would refer as a kick, the type of movement that uh, projects the wave of chi into the yang chuang point uh, in the center of the foot. We already learned how to send waves into uh, the lagoon points in the centers of the palm, and those are very similar to the yang chuang points are also referred to as bubbling well points located in the centers of the feet of the sole of the foot you can measure the foot from heel to toes and also from the right to left side or from medial to the lateral side the center of the foot is usually where you can find the yang chuang points however one of the best ways to find the yang chuang point is actually by palpating Usually, it is slightly more tender than other parts of the sole of the foot. What that means is that different people may have different location of the bubbling well point, as well as you may also find that in one foot it may not be exactly the same placement as the other foot, or you may notice that from day to day or from month to month. The location of Yang Chuan point may also change. That's because it's not the point in your body that you can just tattoo on your skin and decide this is where Yang Chuan point is always located. Because first of all, it's not on the skin; it's in the connective tissue, so-called fascia, that is located well beyond uh, the, the layers of the skin, and that is the. Uh, area of the body conducting the waves the easiest because it's made of mostly water. As a matter of fact, it's a, a colloid tissue, which means it has a, a bunch of uh, fluid with uh, colloid particles or uh, particles that are like a, a fiber that are interwoven into something that's uh, like a sweater, but That tissue is actually mostly water, so sending waves of energy into uh, the Yang Chuang point requires tapping into the element of water in your body. Before we learn how to send waves into the knees, which was the practice associated with the element of earth, so we call them earth kicks, and the knee. Is obviously a bone, and most bones, or all bones in the body, are made of solid matter. As a matter of fact, those are pretty much the only parts of the body that are made of solid matter. So we learned already how to send waves into the knee, and now we're learning how to send it past the knee. In order to send it past the knee, we need to develop a certain quality of movement. That looks like a wave, 
that is what we also refer to as a harmonious culture movement. So if you learn how to send a wave into the knee, you already know how to send waves into some parts of the body. It's just a matter of allowing these waves to flow further into other parts of the body, for example, your feet. Now, some kicks actually send the waves in other parts of the body other than Yang Chuang Point. For example, there are some kicks that send the wave into the top of the foot. Unlike the back of the hand, the top of the foot actually is relatively strong. Unlike the back of the hand, we learn how to use the top of the foot to project energy as well. The back of the hand is, is really hard to project quality uh, waves into. You can send a wave to it. Of course, any part of the body can be sent a wave into. It's just it's not inherently a very strong part of the body. On the other hand, the top of the foot is pretty strong. And, of course, you can hurt the top of the foot by hitting something hard or too strongly. But the likelihood of hurting the part of the, uh, that part of the body by using a kick is much less than any other part of the foot. If you use your heel, you may actually likely hurt your Achilles tendon. And you all know about the Achilles and how the tendon was the only weak part of his body. Obviously, kicking with the toes will probably hurt your toes because toes aren't very strong in general. And many people also have misalignments of their toes which compromises the strength of the toes. It leads to greater likelihood of hurting the toes if you hit something with them. Now, it is possible to kick with the tip of the toe. However, for that purpose, we learn a very specific type of movement that is also very precise. It's almost like doing like a pressure, except instead of tips of the fingers, you start using the tips of the toes. That is something we will be exploring on much more advanced levels of our studies. So right now we are looking at two main areas of the foot, the bottom of the foot and the top of the foot. Uh, first, let's look at the front kick. It's the kick that is very similar to the front kick with the knee, except as you imagine, the wave that reaches the knee would continue going into the lower leg all the way down into the foot. How do you know that the wave goes into that part of the body? That part of the body rises. Just like as we talk about the waves on the surface of the water, uh, we would be talking about a particular part of the body's water rising higher than other parts. That's what we call a wave. If you consider that the body of a human being is also made of mostly water, then we can talk about the waves requiring that the part of the body that receives the wave rises higher. And then as it conducts the wave further, for example, by projecting it into a target, then it begins to lower. So what we do is we learn how to send the wave first into the knee, and the knee rises higher than the hip, then the knee starts lowering down. 
And at that point, that would either deliver an impact with a kneecap or send the wave past the knee into the lower leg, which would bring the foot higher. And as you bring the foot higher, the toes also rise. And then when a wave goes into the foot, they start gradually dropping down. So the moment when you deliver the impact into the target is the point in time when the toes of the foot just starting to drop downwards. And that's one of the qualities of element of water kicks. In Chidao, you can see that virtually all kicks are the vast majority of kicks, maybe with the exception of a lotus kick. And even that one sometimes also can be directed slightly downwards. But most of the element of water kicks deliver impact into the target on the downswing after the part of the body that is about to kick received the wave then it starts receding or dropping down and that's when the energy is delivered into the target very similar to hand if you know how to project the wave into the hand with a forward push you know how to initiate the movement forward and project the energy forward so Forward push is like a beginning of the front kick. And you don't have to even perform the forward push with any oomph because you can simply initiate the movement forward with a step with the opposite foot. So if you're making forward push with the right hand, step forward with the left foot. And then, obviously, the forward push would be a secondary movement because most likely the target is going to be farther from you than where you can reach with a hand, simply because the length of the arms is less than the length of the legs. Now, as you just making that forward push without putting too much effort into reaching the target with a hand, you just create a momentum of the hips forward. Using that momentum, it will propel your right leg directly forward with a knee flexed to the point as if you are about to kick the target with your knee. And you would kick the target if it is close enough with a knee. If the target is a little bit further away than you can reach with a knee, then you send the wave into the foot. So in other words, you add the length of the lower leg to the distance that you can reach with your kick. What happens as a result of that is that you are going to project a pretty powerful wave through the Yan Chuang point in the center of your right foot. And to counterbalance your movement of the leg forward, you would need to tilt your upper body slightly back or away from the target. In that case, since you're already turning your body following the direction of your left toes, with the center line, you would be actually leaning to the left because the center line is no longer pointing straight forward. What that means is that you are counterbalancing the weight of the right leg with a tilt of your torso slightly to the left and away from the target so that you don't lose balance or you don't fall through 
falling through and the element of water kicks it is the exact same event as the falling through with the element of earth kicks. What happens when you fall through is that you essentially give yourself so much momentum that uh, you are going to step too far away from the uh, weight-bearing foot or you will load too much weight on the foot that it just kicked with. Either way, when you fall through, usually it is very hard to bounce off the floor and take another little step with that same foot that just performed the kick. So what do we do? Well, we learn how to land with the foot that just made the kick relatively close to the standing foot. So the foot actually makes a semicircular movement down as you're landing, and then when you land, touch the ground with the ball of the foot, bouncing off the ground, and then taking an extra step forward, realigning a center line with that foot that just made a kick with. So if you kicked with the right foot, then the right foot also will bounce off the ground, as I, what I call it, uh, take a tap, and then a step. What that means is that there is a certain sequence of events. The initial step with the left foot, then kick with the right foot, tap, and then step with the right foot again. As a matter of fact, the step with the right foot after the kick can also coincide with a forward push with the opposite hand. Because as your energy continues moving forward, you can use that momentum to channel the energy into the forward push. As the forward push requires the transverse movement, so one foot steps forward and the opposite hand performs the forward push, then as you tap and step forward with the right foot, you'll make a forward push with the left hand, which may actually remind you of what happened before you made the front kick with the right foot. You made the forward push with the right hand. So now as you made the forward push with the left hand, just go ahead and make another front kick with the left leg now. Also pivoting on the ball of the right foot, sending the wave into the left knee directly forward. The knee is flexed enough so that the tip of the knee would be pointing at the target. But then if the target is farther away than uh, the distance you can reach using your knee, then allow the wave to flow further past the knee into the lower leg and the foot. At the moment of impact, if there is a real target, your toes would be up and actually start slowly going down. And so what happens is that you would kind of step through the target and the direction of the step would be forward and downwards. And then you just bring the kicking foot down to the ground relatively close to the standing foot. So again, you can tap with the left foot and step forward with it, which may also coincide with a forward push with the right hand, and so on. So you make a complete circle or cycle of a forward push and front kick combination. A right forward push, right kick, left forward push, left kick. Now, I will continue exploring other movements.
In this case, it's the reverse of the forward push and front kick. There is no way to project energy backwards with the knee. So the back of the knee is not a strong part of the body. It's like the inside of the elbow joint. It's not something that you would want to deliver impact into the target with. However, the back of the knee is not what we're going to be sending the energy into. We will make a rear kick with the sole of the foot. When we lift the foot, we can turn the toes down. And in that case, the sole of the foot is pointing directly backwards. And that's perfectly fine because that's where we're going to be sending the energy. Just like we made a forward step before the front kick, now let's step backwards. It's a natural step. So whichever foot is already further back would step backwards just a little more, maybe just an inch or two. Then you launch a rear kick with the opposite foot. To do that, thrust your pelvis as if you're going to hit the target with your butt. One of my students was joking with me, uh, saying that uh, if uh, the strike with the head can be referred to as a, a headbutt, then we would call the movement that we we're just discussing the butt butt. So, great. We are making the butt butt. We are sending the wave first into the hips as if we're going to just hit the target with our rear end. Then the wave continues. It goes into the knee. But of course, since we don't make the knee kicks backwards, we don't emphasize turning the knee towards the target, and instead send the wave immediately past the knee into the foot. As long as the toes are pointing downwards, or at least further down than the heel of the foot, your sole of the foot will most likely be pointing backwards. And that's exactly what we need. The foot will rise. Imagine that you're stepping over a chair or a stool or whatever obstacle you may be stepping over. Like, you know, I have uh, blocks in my studio, and we step over those blocks. They're soft and, and cushy, so if you hit it, it's going to be fine. But the idea is to actually step over it. And as you do that, your foot will be traveling upwards, backwards, and then downwards. It's an arch-like movement. And while your foot is making this movement, you are performing a rear kick. Because if there is any obstacle or, or, or target in the way of your foot, you will actually kick it. The kick happens without straightening the leg. Now, that's something weird for anyone who's ever done any martial arts. Because how can you kick without straightening a leg? Well, it's totally possible. As a matter of fact, that's exactly how we kick. None of the Chidao kicks requires straightening the leg. In the rear kick, it's done without extending the leg back, but rather as if the target is really close to us not much farther than the distance that we would be able to reach if we were just trying to hit the target with our rear end. 
maybe just a foot further beyond that distance, is how far we kick with the foot. The distance that we cover with the foot before we reach the target is not how far the foot goes. The foot goes through the target, past the target, maybe another foot or two into the target if the target remains steady, and we just push the foot through the target with a wave that we originated with a movement of the opposite foot backwards and sending the hip in, the, in that same direction. So in other words, you stepping through the target, you don't just reach the surface of the target. If you just reach the surface of the target, you don't really deliver energy into it. Usually it's just something that you're going to scare the opponent with rather than actually hit him. And since most of the uses of these kicks are related to martial art applications of Chidao, well, we consider that there is an opponent that we're kicking. In order to make sure that you're kicking the right person, please look. It's easy to forget about looking at the target when making a rear kick because we don't have eyes in the backs of our heads. So how do we look at the at target? Most martial artists, when they perform a rear kick, or sometimes they call it a mule kick, look over the shoulder. 99% of martial artists do. When you look over the shoulder, it requires misalignment of your neck and the spine. So what do we do then? When you thrust your pelvis, that actually means that your entire spine becomes a little bit less vertical, a little bit more horizontal. That means that you can look under your shoulder. As you lift the shoulder on this, that is on the same side of the body as the kicking leg a little bit, you can glean under the shoulder and see the target that you're about to kick. That it requires no misalignment of the neck. You are looking under your shoulder as if you're just looking down along your center line. What that does, it allows you to maintain much greater stability and retain much greater power as you make the rear kick. We've done numerous tests about the different positions of the neck and uh, other parts of the body while performing kicks. So don't take my word as the, as the gospel. You're welcome to experiment. You're welcome to look over your shoulder or under the shoulder and see what works best for you. You're welcome to look somewhere else and see how that works and how much precision you'll get in your kick then. In other words, I don't want you to feel like you have to do it the way I do it, but you're welcome to try it and, and uh, find out what works best for you. I know that looking under my shoulder is what works the best because I've done enough tests. You can also discover that upon landing of the kicking foot on the ground, you can also tap the ground and step further in the same direction as the direction of the kick, namely backward. 
at the same time as you're taking that extra step after the kick, see if you can make a backward pull with the same side arm. Now, backward pull is a, a yin movement, and when you're performing yin motions, they require a, a homolateral rather than transverse movement. So same side foot stepping towards the target allows you to perform the backward pull the best. And you can imagine that you are either pulling or you are striking with an elbow. Either way, this movement of the arm will enhance the quality of your kick. You may be wondering, wait a moment, how is it going to enhance the quality of my rear kick if it's happening after the kick? Well, when you perform that backward pull with a step, consider that the step with that foot is the beginning of the rear kick with the opposite foot. Just like you started your rear kick with a little extra step before you made the kick, now you can also launch the kick with the opposite foot after you took this little extra step. And once again, you can send the wave into the hip, and then from there it goes into the knee and your foot. As long as you keep your toes lower than your heel, you will be able to deliver a really nice wave into the target on the downswing of your foot. So your foot actually starts turning down and rounds its motion so that it lands on the ground relatively close to the standing foot. The standing foot, in this case, uh, is pointing directly away from the target. So the toes of the standing foot point exactly 180 degrees away from the target. What that means is that your center line is in alignment with the toes of the standing foot. And then when your foot lands on the ground, you turn center line. And when you take an extra step after the tap, your center line will align with the toes of the back foot as you shift weight on it. And that is also the point in time when you deliver a backward pull with the same side arm. So we've covered the entire cycle of backward pull, a rear kick, another backward pull with the opposite arm, and a rear kick with the other leg. So this is, again, a combination that requires both taps and step. Remember, the kick first, then tap, and then step after the kick. Sometimes I have to um, point to students who I teach that uh, they try to tap before the kick. Well, the foot that is about to kick shouldn't be tapping. It should tap after the kick because that's when you use the tap to make sure that you are not falling through. You are following through with the movement of the arm that coincides with a step um, that follows the tap. That's how we learn how to follow through instead of fall through. If you fall through after the rear kick, you will get stuck. You will not be able to move very gracefully because your distance between the feet will be 
too broad. The greater the distance, the less mobility you'll have. So what's the cure for that? Bring the kicking foot close to the standing foot to tap the ground. And then you're welcome to take a step increasing the distance between the feet. Now, that was the movement back and forth, or kicks. Now, let's explore the movement inwards. We've learned that there is a roundhouse kick that we can make with the knee, and the roundhouse knee kick also works in combination with closing. Now, it's important to space them out a little bit so that the closing happens, and then you make a roundhouse after the closing. Natural turn that happens during the closing is also going to create a momentum of your hips in the direction opposite of the name of the arm that you're using for making a closing. So if you're making a closing with a right arm, your hips are turning to the left with a natural turn. That will actually create momentum. Your body will be kind of twisting to the left. So allow the twisting action of the upper torso and the hips to continue so that you start pivoting on the ball of the left foot. Launch the roundhouse kick without stopping yourself at the moment when you're done with the closing. So in other words, when you complete the closing, keep on turning. As you keep on turning, your right foot will not be able to stay on the ground. What's going to happen is it will leave the ground and will start traveling around your body, keeping the knee bent. You will basically be performing a roundhouse kick with the knee. Then the knee around, and if the target is close enough, then that's the perfect tool to use to deliver impact into the target. However, if the target is farther from you, so you cannot reach it with a knee, then go with your knee past the target, and only then start whipping out your foot so that the top of the foot would deliver the impact into the target. It's important to remember that the knee must pass the target before the foot reaches the target. Why? Because there's only one way to reach the target with the foot before the knee passes it. It's when you straighten your leg. So if you don't straighten your leg, then you will be able to deliver the impact into the target with a foot that uh, follows the knee. Now, as the wave goes into the knee, knee rises higher than the hip. Eventually, the wave will pass the knee into the foot. In that case, the knee starts dropping down and the foot comes up higher than the knee. So in the majority of roundhouse kicks in Chidao, the foot actually is higher than the knee at the moment of the delivering impact. It starts traveling down, so it just passes the apex of its movement. And as it starts dropping down, 
you also use a little bit of your own weight as well as the rotational momentum of your body, which means that you're using power instead of force to deliver the impact. What is also crucial is to remember to maintain the alignment of the spine. Majority of people when they study martial arts and learn around house kicks or mawashigeri as they call them in Japanese, they tend to tilt the head so that the neck is no longer in alignment with the rest of the spine. Well, since the neck is also referred to as the cervical spine, the bones of the neck need to be in alignment with the rest of the spine. What that means is that you will be counterbalancing the weight of your rising leg by tilting the torso away from the leg only half as far as you rising the leg. So in other words, if your leg, for example, rises to about 90 degrees away from the standing leg, the torso tilts only 45 degrees. 45 degrees would divide the angle in half. That's what they also call the median line of the angle. So whatever angle is between your thighs, as long as you keep the spine following the median of that angle, you will maintain the most advantageous alignment. Don't take my word. Feel free to experiment with that. You may find out that it may work somehow differently for you. However, if you find that your spine gives you the least trouble when you maintain alignment of the spine with a median of the angle between your thighs, then that's perfectly fine with me. And, of course, the alignment of the head follows the alignment of the spine. So the head and neck stay in alignment with the spine even when the spine tilts. It's okay to see the world at an angle. You realize that the target is tilting or turning sideways slightly. And for some people, it may be challenging to aim at the target when they're looking at it from such an angle. Well, it's just a matter of practice. It's just a matter of remembering that it's not really that important to even hit the target when you're learning. What is important is to maintain your own comfort and alignment. And that's how we do it. We remember to maintain the streamlining of the spine. Another thing that we also remember is that the toes of the kicking leg need to be pointing because you are using the top of the foot to deliver the impact into the target. Yes, we will learn how to send the waves into the toes when we get into the element of air stuff. Right now, it's way beyond our heads, so we're not going to do it. We will be just pointing the toes and delivering the impact with the top of the foot into the target. If we pass the target or go through it, then we land on the ground pigeon-toed, which means the toes of the standing and the kicking legs are closer to each other than the heels of those legs. What that also means is that you don't want to stand like that once you've landed your foot because it's very unstable. But rather, bounce off the ground with the ball of the foot that you just kicked with and take a natural turn in the direction back to the target. 
what it means is that as you go past the target, you will turn away from the target. I suggest not to turn your back to the target entirely because, well, what if you actually didn't kick that person? Well, that person may jump at you from behind if you turn your back to them. So I suggest not to turn that far, but you will turn past the target, so that's okay. Just bounce with the ball of the foot off the ground and turn back to face the target, making a natural turn. Now, what's interesting about the natural turn is that it's also something you did in the opposite direction when you began your kick. And as you may realize from the previous kicks that we just talked about, this may be beginning of the roundhouse kick with the opposite leg. That's right. You create momentum in the direction of your natural turn so that your back leg now may actually perform a roundhouse kick. If you kicked with the right leg first, you bounce off the ground with the right foot after you kick, then you start making natural turn to the right. You can combine that with a closing using your left arm. Most likely you may not reach the target because the distance that you can reach the target with a hand is not as great as distance that you can reach target with your leg. We don't straighten out either of the limbs. So we don't straighten out arm, don't straighten out the leg. We don't try to reach the target that's too far. We only go to the distance that is comfortable for us. If the target is farther than the distance, we just need to step closer to the target. So we don't try to extend ourselves too far, extending the leg all the way. If we do that, most likely we will not be able to follow through. In majority of cases, people who extend the leg performing a roundhouse kick, actually bounce off of the target and return back where they came from. So if they were kicking with the left leg, for example, and the leg straightened out all the way, then most likely the left leg returned back to the position where it was before the kick. Well, that's a pretty poor body dynamics because it doesn't allow you to actually use your momentum and the weight of your body to deliver the impact. You will only use the force by contracting the muscles of the legs. Instead of just using the force, we learn how to use power. We learn how to use the momentum of the whole body and the weight of the body to deliver impact with the foot slightly descending down from above. So your foot actually starts uh, slicing at an angle downwards at the moment of the impact and then touches the ground pigeon toed bounce off the ground with the ball of the kicking foot and take a natural turn so that you face the target again now we have just completed the entire cycle of closing roundhouse kick with one leg and then closing with opposite arm and roundhouse kick with the opposite leg. This is a fun experience to learn how to make this kind of movements because this can be an excellent uh, martial art technique. It is extremely difficult to deal with somebody who knows how to kick like that.
And as you learn how to perform this kind of kicks, you will become a formidable martial artist. Now, it also can be used for protective purposes or in self-defense. For example, if you make a closing as a defensive maneuver, which is something that we continue learning as we go along, and we learn how to use closing as one of the most effective defensive maneuvers. A roundhouse kick can actually be used as an immediate technique for recycling the energy. So you don't wait uh, till you start doing anything with the opposite arm or, or you don't even have to grab the arm that uh, the opponent is trying to punch you with or kick you, uh, kick you with the leg. Instead of grabbing the uh, arm, you just make a closing, kind of uh, uh, inserting your hand between the punching arm and your body as a making natural turn and immediately follow with a roundhouse kick, which is an extremely powerful kick if done correctly. And it also is something that can be used sometimes with a knee, sometimes with a foot, depending on the distance between you and uh, your, your opponent. All right, now let's look at the reversal of the uh, roundhouse and uh, uh, closing, which is the opening, which can be followed with a, a sidekick. Sidekick is something very similar to a natural step sideways, an exaggerated natural step sideways that essentially can be used for projecting the energy wave into the foot. There is no sidekick with a knee because knees don't bend sideways very well, and it's a good thing. What we do is we just immediately send the wave into the leg um, as, as we start making the uh, exaggerated uh, side step. It can be done as if you are about to make an opening. You can even start making an opening, like maybe perform 25 to 50% of the opening movement. And then shift your attention to the leg movement as if you're stepping over an obstacle just like we were talking about stepping over an obstacle with other kicks, for example, with a rear kick or any kicks, the front kick, rear kick, roundhouse kick, all of them can be performed as if you are moving your foot over an obstacle. It, it makes an arch-like motion. And when you do that with a side kick, your leg will lift sideways because it has certain weight. You want to tilt your torso away from the target, so you counterbalance yourself. Now, the weight of your body will still be moving sideways, and that will contribute to the power of the kick. The way that we do that is by making sure that the foot reaches the target on the downswing after it goes past the apex of its lift. That also means that you will be basically stepping through the target except you don't want to push the target very far away using the straightening of the leg. That's right, the leg does not straighten in the sidekick. Unlike all the sidekicks that you can see in karate, taekwondo, and most kung fu styles, 
Chidao sidekicks are done without straightening the leg, which means the distance that you can cover with that kick is relatively short, but at the same time, it's a very powerful kick because it uses the power of the body instead of physical force. The power comes from the use of the momentum of the body and the gravity. One of the important considerations is to land with the kicking foot relatively close to the standing foot. Another good reason to not to extend your kick too far away because the leg continues to extend to the point where it reaches the ground. It doesn't extend at the point when they reach the target. You continue extending the leg until you reach the ground. Then bounce off the ground with a ball of the kicking foot and take an extra step. You won't be able to take that extra step if you've stepped too far or if you kick brought your feet too far apart. So another reminder to not spread yourself too thin. As a matter of fact, you will be able to even complete your opening with that extra step in the direction where you were just kicking. What that means is that you can actually perform the movement of the opening, sending the wave into the lagoon point of the same side hand as the name of the foot that you just used for kicking. So if you were kicking to the left with the left foot, then send the wave into your left palm at the same time as you are tapping and adding an extra step after the kick. You may also bring your other foot closer in if you want to kick another time with the same side leg. Sometimes it's not enough to just perform one side kick. It's great to be able to do it again and again. So in order to be able to make another side kick, you need to bring the feet closer together again. You can't lift the leg up in the air if you are spread out. So you bring the foot closer in, and then you can make another side kick. Or, as an alternative, you can bring the foot closer in and tap the ground so that you can actually launch the side kick in the opposite direction. This is kind of a very similar movement to going from side to side with the alternating hands, performing openings. It's just when you tap the ground, you start making an opening, but only do it no more than 50%. And instead of making an opening with a side step, turn that side step into a side kick. It's just imagine that your foot is traveling over an obstacle in an arch-like manner. And make sure that your uh, young chuang point in the center of your foot would be able to reach the target on the downswing of your sidekick. Move through a target as your leg extends, and then uh, when you're about to touch the ground with a kicking leg, foot, bounce off the ground with the ball of that foot and add just one more little step in the same direction where you just kicked. As you're making that extra step, you can complete your opening, which you started before you started making your kick. So 
then you actually complete the cycle of uh, opening in one direction, sidekick in the same direction, then opening in the reverse direction, and sidekick with the opposite leg. All right. Now, let me get into another couple of kicks. Crescent kick is like a combination of a, a front kick and a, a roundhouse. It begins as if it is a roundhouse, so you can begin by making a natural turn. Like, for example, if you're going to make a crescent kick with the left foot, start by making a natural turn to the right. You can also start making a downward press with the left arm. Just like we were talking about the opening, make only 50% of your movement of downward press, or even between 25 and 50%. So you just kind of initiate, but don't complete the downward press. What it means is that you start moving your body in a uh, spiraling motion to the right and downwards. As your hip begins to move in that direction, it starts sending the rotational wave into the knee. Your left knee comes up as if you're about to make a roundhouse kick with the knee. But then send the wave into the left foot, winging the left foot ahead of the knee so that the sole of the foot would be able to reach the target instead of the top of the foot like in a roundhouse. So similar to the front kick, the sole of strikes the target, but the beginning of the movement was like a roundhouse kick. What ends up happening is that unlike the roundhouse where you land pigeon-toed, you actually end up landing with your toes rotated outwardly of both feet. It's as if you are performing what they call a plie in ballet. Your legs bend, your center of mass descends downwards, and on the downswing of the crescent kick, your foot reaches the target and performs the movement through the target. So once again, your feet end up relatively close to each other, and then you can rebalance yourself. Standing in plie is not a very balanced position, even if you're a ballet dancer. So what do you do? Simply bounce off the ground with a ball of a kicking foot. For example, if there was a left foot that you were kicking with, then the ball of the left foot bounces off the ground, and then take a miniature natural turn to the left, turning a center line in alignment with the left toes. So you maintain a principle of stabilization. Now, what's interesting is that you can actually start performing a downward press with the right arm at the same time. If you don't do it all the way down, only maybe go halfway down, uh, no more than 50%, then you will be able to perform a, a crescent kick with the opposite leg. So your right hip pulls the right knee in a circular motion around your body as if you're about to make a, a roundhouse kick with a, a right leg, except swing your right foot ahead of the right knee so that the Yang Chuang point of the sole of the foot 
would actually be able to deliver impact into the target. On the downswing of the crescent kick, as you are about to land on the ground in a plié position. Again, bouncing off the ground with the ball of the right foot, you can reposition yourself, regain stability, realign your center line with the toes of the right leg, and you may do that at the same time as you make a miniature downward press with the left arm. Again, we've completed the cycle of downward press and crescent kick. At any point when you feel like you need to make a downward press all the way, well, then just don't stop yourself uh, midway. Complete the downward press. You will not be able to make a crescent kick after the completed downward press, or not very likely. But we will learn how to make snake movements on the advanced level of our studies, which can be followed with kicks even when you perform the snake movement all the way. So uh, we will get into that in just a few months. Simply spinning to the right and to the left, you create a very powerful combination of downward presses and crescent kicks. It's not something that is uh, an offensive combination usually because uh, you usually don't attack people with downward presses. You usually use them uh, for self-defense purposes. And it also means that uh, you don't really have to complete the downward press all the way when you uh, use it for self-defense. Instead, just insert your arm between the attacking arm and your body and uh, then make a crescent kick. This is an excellent self-defense kick, uh, similar to a roundhouse. It's just going to be directed towards the legs because most of the targets for crescent kicks are way below the waistline. So knees are great targets for crescent kicks. All right. The last but not the least is a lotus kick. A wonderful kick that can be very picturesque, very impressive looking if it's done right. In order to perform a decent lotus kick, first you need to gain momentum. And this momentum is gained usually by making a gesture with the same side hand as the kicking leg, as if you're about to make an uppercut. Again, it's only 50% of the movement of the uppercut, which consists of motion of the arm from the center line to the side, palm facing upwards, as if you're offering something to the person you're about to kick. So the hand gesture, as if you're holding something in your palm and just turning to the person to your right, for example, if you're making the right lotus kick. This turn can be of varying degrees. It can turn to 90 degrees. It can even turn to 180 degrees. As you gain more skill with lotus kicks, you can turn even uh, more than 180 degrees, 270 or 360. What that means is that a lotus kick can be performed with quite a bit of rotation. Rotation happens on the heel of the standing foot. So the rule of thumb is that the 
movements outwards, upwards, and backwards require that the heel would connect to the ground, whereas movements forward, inwards, and downwards require pivoting on the ball of the foot. So pivoting on the heel is also very similar to a natural turn. And I invite you to consider that the lotus kick is like an exaggerated natural turn. It's just your foot swings out more than normal uh, natural turn. That happens because there is a greater wave that goes into the leg generated by the movement of the arm so that the miniature uppercut actually creates the torque of the body which can be continued with the movement of the hips in the same direction. So the shoulders, the head turns first, following uh, with eye contact the movement of the hand. Then the shoulders follow, then the hips follow. When the hips begin to follow the shoulders, your right leg will not be able to maintain the connection with the ground anymore. Pivoting on the heel of the left foot Make the movement as if you're making a, a knee kick. The lotus kick with the knee is a perfectly fine kick, except it usually doesn't reach very far. So if the distance between you and the target is greater than the length of your femur bone, then you can swing out the foot and use the top of the foot to deliver the impact. That's right. Just like with a roundhouse kick, we are using, again, the top of the foot, pointing the toes away from the knee as much as you can, like the ballerina, deliver an impact on the uh, apex of the movement. You may hit the target right before the apex, and the power of that movement will come from straightening the standing leg. That's right. We'd never straighten the kicking leg. But in this case, it may be okay to straighten your standing leg because it will help move your center mass upwards. Well, it's also the direction of the lotus kick. It goes upwards and spiraling around your body. If you're turning farther than 90 degrees, most likely you will be actually hitting on the downswing, which means that the foot may actually even come higher than the knee. Just like with all the wave motions, whatever part of the body is receiving the wave, that part of the body comes up, and then as it's ready to send the wave further, it begins to move downwards. Just like the body of water, where whichever part of the body of the water moves upwards, that's the crest of the wave, and then as the wave passes, that part of the body of the water begins to move downwards. What we do is that we create an eye contact with the target, especially since we're turning, so we're pivoting quite a bit. We establish eye contact with the target, pointing at the target with our fingers of the hand that's uh, making the gestures as you're giving something to the opponent. And using the momentum of the body, let the foot swing out and slap the target with the top of the foot. It's like a, a smack. It don't have to smack in the face. It can be smack in any part of the body, especially softer parts of the body, like stomach. 
you don't want to hit hard parts of the body with the top of the foot because it's going to hurt you quite a bit. We deliver an impact and move through the target. We never stop as soon as we reach the target. We move as if the target is not even there. We acknowledge the target is there, but we move through the target like cutting through it as if we're using a sword or like a butter knife moves through the butter. And what happens is that your leg will continue straightening out until it reaches the ground. So the leg does not straighten at the moment of impact delivered into the target. It actually keeps getting straighter and straighter as it goes down. When it reaches the ground, it also will end up in a plie-like position, somewhat similar to the situation after the crescent kick. The toes of the kicking leg will be rotated outwardly, and all you need to do is bounce off the ground with the ball of the kicking foot and then reposition them so that you regain stability and balance, simply aligning the toes of the kicking leg with the center line of your body. That's the principle of stabilization. You may, if you want to, also go in reverse. So if you went to the right with a uh, lotus kick with the right leg, then you can begin the movement to the left with the left hand, doing only 50% of the uppercut with the left hand. As if you're giving something on the palm of your left hand to the opponent, that's standing to your left or even behind you. And then use the torque of your body to send your left leg spiraling around you and upwards, reaching the target with the top of your foot at the apex of its movement. And then continue slicing through the target as the foot goes down and reaches the ground with the ball of the foot. And again, tap the ground bounce off of it, and reposition the foot so that you maintain a comfortable natural stance afterwards, or, or at least a stabilization, uh, center line aligning with the toes of the weight-bearing foot. Now, this has been um, uh, a pretty long teleseminar, me covering all the six element of water kicks. I will wrap up. If you guys have any questions about the element of water kicks, feel free to email me, you know, my email address. You must have also received by now the video on the element of water kicks. Have a great time. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.